This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Scott from RugbyMag.com with, as usual, Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean. And we're going to be talking a lot about what's going on with the men's senior club competitions. It's something that we've wanted to talk about for a long time, and it seems like it's just on the cusp of being uh, being a main topic for one of our shows, and then something else comes up, like the Eagles losing a game or something. Uh, we're going to be right back uh, after this short break and talk a little bit about American Club Rugby here on Rugby Matrix America. Hey everybody, this is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com, and I want to ask you a question. When was the last time your team took a tour? You remember how fun it was, you know, the games against teams you'd never seen before, experiencing a new culture, the camaraderie, and team bonding. It was great. Wait, you haven't been on a tour? Well, maybe you should. Irish Rugby Tours has been involved with American Rugby since 1985. Owner George Hook offers a personal and dedicated approach to all tours. He wants to make sure you play competitive games, see the sights, and enjoy every minute of your trip. From high schools to clubs and from colleges to the U.S. All-Americans, Irish Rugby Tours is the tour operator of choice. Ireland's premier rugby tour operator gives you on-the-ground and local support. They have the best value around, and they can set you up with coaching sessions with top international coaches. They don't just send you on the tour and leave you alone. They make sure it all works out from the beginning to the end. Go to irishrugbytours.com to see the list of American teams that have enjoyed tailor-made packages from Irish Rugby Tours, or check out their ad on rugbymag.com. Don't you deserve a tour? IrishRugbyTours.com. We're back here in Rugga Matrix America. Don't forget to check out Rugga Matrix on the iTunes store, both Rugga Matrix America and the Rugga Matrix International Show. Uh, you can also go to RuggaMatrix.com for all that stuff. And don't forget to check out RugbyMag.com for all your latest news, all the Rugga Matrix America shows, and some of the other stuff we're doing. Now, um, Bruce and Pat, first of all, um, the Winter Olympics are over. You guys uh, happy or sad to see them go? I'm glad that we. It seems like we might get a break from losing to Canada and, and other sports. So, um, you know, I'm happy that I don't have to watch uh, the United States lose to a Canadian team anytime soon. Yeah. That uh, I, I get Canadian TV, so we I watch the Winter Olympics mostly on Canadian TV, but seeing them replay the. Uh, the hockey gold medal games. I'm I'm not really interested in that. So, yeah, what a gut punch the women's game. I, I, yeah, that's the good. only women's hockey game I've ever watched in my life. Probably the last one, but uh, I actually got worked up over it, and it was, it was it bad. Was a big gut punch. Yeah, that was bad. So, Bruce, you you care about that stuff? I thought the Canadians played well in, in the semifinal game against the U.S. It was it was it was great to see it, and I thought that the uh, you know the the Canadian women played pretty well you know all the points count you got to play the whole game and 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 that was um they, they wasn't a whole lot different than what the uh what the u.s did to russia in the uh in the preliminary rounds in, in the men's side so yeah i mean i'm not a big fan of international anything i'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty apolitical so uh I I don't get too worked up over that stuff. I think that the governments take too much of the Olympics out of the hands of the athletes and the people who work hard and the politics of it is kind of sickening. But the athletes, I really appreciate all the stuff they do and they're very entertaining and they have great stories. And I just wish that the uh, the gangs in arbitrary in arbitrary geographical areas would stay the hell out of it. One of the things that is pertinent, I think, well, a couple of things that I think are pertinent to uh, American rugby when it comes down to the Olympics. Number one is that uh, it's a good reminder that the only Olympic committee that doesn't use government money to fund its athletes is the United States Olympic Committee. And, and, I, and, and I'm not saying they should, I'm certainly not saying they should, but I think it's interesting that they don't. And 
sometimes you get something uh, where the country gets behind something and say, we're going to make sure that we have better performances at the Olympics. And uh, even the government of a relatively small country can turn around and assign millions and billions of dollars to that if that's what they think the people want. And in Canada, for example, they know that's what the people want, what the, the people get behind sports. So we've, And we've known that the, even before rugby was an Olympic sport, uh, Canadian athlete, Canadian rugby players were paid by the government a stipend to help them train to be uh, international athletes, and and that's something obviously we never had in the United States. Um, the other thing that struck me and um, was the performance of the U.S. speed skating team, and a lot of people had a lot of expectations for the team, and and not only did they not win any medals, they actually didn't didn't even come close. They were actually quite horrible. And, and people are kind of upset partly because the United States has this great history in speed skating. But I wrote something about the U.S. Sevens team that I think is pertinent – sort of parallels what's going on with U.S. speed skating is that even if you don't really follow speed skating very much, you probably can start churning out a few names. And you can say Eric Hyden, Dan Jansen, Bonnie Blair, Shawnee Davis – Eric Flame, and they can go bang, 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 bang. You can come up with those names. It's not that hard. And that's because every single Olymp Olympiad, the United States comes up with one or two speed skaters who are really wonderful. And then we say, oh, well, we're good at speed skating. No, we're not. We have a few people who just show up and are great and that make the rest of us look, look good. And I think – and I've written about this. I think that's sometimes what makes the US 7s team look good is that every now and then we get – a group of guys like we get Chris Wilds, Paul Emmerich, Kevin Swearin all playing together at the same time. And then suddenly, of course, we get good results. And when they go away, we don't have the system to back it up. It's just a thought about that. Um, but we're not here to talk about the U.S. 7s team again. We're supposed to be talking about the uh, U.S. club system. And um, th for those of you who have been, been on RugbyMag.com, you've noticed that we've been spending a lot of effort in covering the new Pacific Rugby Premiership. We're doing video highlights, and that's been a great thing. That I, th I think I really commend the league um, because they get their game films uh, to us really, really quickly. And then they've uh, we've negotiated where we have the rights not to show you the full game footage because that's something that they wanted to retain for scouting purposes. But we decided we made an agreement that we at Rugby Mag would cut those games up into four or five, six minute highlights and give everybody a, a, an idea of what's going on by doing the highlight shows. And I think it's really great. It's great for us. I think it's great for the fans to see a little bit of what's going on with the games, but not everybody has – uh, you know, six hours to devote to watch three full PRP rugby games every week. Um, and, I, and, and we're all really excited about that. But that doesn't mean that we think that uh, the PRP hung the moon. That doesn't mean that we think that every game is perfectly played. That doesn't mean that we don't think it can be better. And I think, Pat, you and I both made some comments in some of our uh, – uh, you know, sort of weekly shows about it, or weekly video shows about it, um, that the PRP could be better. So um, I wanted to ask you, Bruce, as well, what you think of it, because, you know, it's, it, I, I feel like it's good that it's there, but that doesn't mean it's arrived. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that they got it right in that they, decided when they wanted to play. They all kind of came to an agreement as to what they wanted to do. It is a long season, but their weather is conducive to it. I probably don't think that the Denver and Glendale being in that Pacific region is particularly bright, but they worked it out the way they did. I'd, I'd prefer to see Puget Sound there with um, and have a six-team league that played each other twice. Probably be easier, but the way they did it, they did it. It was uh, Puget Sound's choice to play in Canada. I think that the organizational structure is good. Most of the people involved are decent people who've been around rugby for a while. And I think when Puget Sound gets back into it, it's going to help them. And I also think that it's uh, it's going to be – I think that they have it right. And I think that they're not worried about what USA Rugby's doing. And that part I don't – totally agree with we'll get into that later in the show 
but the level of play based on your highlight videos has increased dramatically in a relatively short period of time. I mean, the first week of, of highlight videos was tough to watch. The, the next couple were, were pretty good, and, and they're getting better. The defense, I think, needs a lot of work, but the attacking game is starting to come around and probably helped having Siddle and playing at Belmont and things like that. But it's pretty good. I, you know, it's only going to get better as they play each other. you got to play good competition to get better. And I know that there's a lot of guys in the East Coast saying, hey, man, I, I wish I was over there because we're still under a foot and a half of snow. And, and that's true. <laughs> Those guys, There's guys here who are wishing they were – doing a competition like that. So, so what's gotten better? Is it, I mean, it, it, I mean, the thing, the thing we've seen and Pat, you can chime in on this, but it, I mean, we just early on, especially just saw a lot of mistakes, just, just drop balls, passes behind someone's head, just goofy stuff like that. <laughs> it's early season club rugby. I mean, the guys are practicing two days a week and they were just starting their season. Of course, that's what you see. I mean, that's the case when Nyack plays in the fall too, you know, these are the sorts of, that's his mistakes you expect early on in the season. The guys aren't practicing five days a week. Um, those mistakes are going to happen. So I think it's pretty natural that they've gotten better. Right? I think to take anything away from the league, um, other than the fact of, you know, some of the teams that aren't in it is, is unfair that the, the league is accomplishing what it wants to. It's putting the best players uh, on the field that it possibly can. And, you know, what I think is pretty comparable to what the super league used to do. And the games are close, and the games are good, and there's a lot of high-pressure situations, which is how you create better players and, and better eagles and better teams. There's a lot of pressure, and I think it's fantastic. I've got – I really don't have anything negative to say about what they're, what they're doing. Well, I think that, uh, you know, what what the teams have been asking for is a better competition, right, Bruce? I mean, the, the, it, whether, whether the season has to be 30 games long or four games long – the best teams are always asking for good competition. One of the reasons is they know that they're not getting better by playing a team that beat that they beat by a hundred points. So we're we're going to see the growing pains because they know they're not up to that standard. I don't know that they're. I, I can't say that I, you know a lot of teams talk a good game on that, and there were opportunities for teams to stay in the Super League and do things like that, and they didn't do it. Not USA Rugby didn't make it easy. Actually, USA Rugby. And certain people behind destroying it, but the fact of the matter is, they got it. They understand it now, and they realize the error of their ways, and they basically created a West Coast Super League, which is what we need. The same as we need one in the East Coast, which is probably the crux of your next question. Yeah, are we gonna are we gonna see? Are we gonna see a, a, an Atlantic Rugby Premiership? Well, they definitely want to have an Atlantic Rugby Premiership. James Walker. And Lance French have been in conversations with the teams on the East Coast about doing it. My suggestion would have been to have Glendale and Denver in with the East Coast teams. That's probably not going to happen. I There's no reason that Life AC, Boston, and Old Blue don't do this and scrap the whole D1 debacle. But I don't know what's going to happen for whatever reason. Those teams can't seem to come to an agreement on anything. So we'll see how that all plays out. But I think that ideally Metropolis is also a team and and New Orleans is a team that would be seriously considered in that. Now, the part of the problem is that the Pacific Rugby Premiership plays a home and home and they would like it or prefer it if the Atlantic Rugby Premiership played a home-and-home as well. The difficulty is the weather situation here. We couldn't play games here probably for another week or so, and we couldn't even practice here for another week or so, maybe two weeks. There's supposed to be snow this week as well. So it would be difficult to be able to pull something like that off. Now, if they can get New Orleans in it in life and, and possibly a team from a southern region in it, and then Metropolis and Old Blue and, and 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 Boston and New York AC, they could work something out. And the other thing that they were talking about is possibly having a fall competition that counted toward the spring competition. Again, 
those are going to be up to the clubs in general. I, my suggestion when I was speaking to the guys is that the Atlantic and the Pacific are different and that you can allow an Atlantic to run their league the way they run it. The Pacific should run their league the way they run it and the champions should play each other or, you know, a semifinal 2-1, 2-1 and enough final game. That's all very doable. And I think that they're going to find a way to make that happen. I think that Mike Tolkien wants to make some sort of a club competition happen. I think that USA Rugby is, has realized the folly of their D- Division One structure and they're kind of staying out of it and uh, treating it almost in a laissez-faire fashion, which I think if the clubs can really talk to each other and try to get their act together, that could be really good. The There are different options available to the American rugby, the Atlantic rugby premiership teams. They could... Again, they could play fall and spring. They could play spring only. They could have a maximum, you know, the double home and home where they can have where they play each other singly. And then I think that they're going to have to work that out with the Pacific Rugby Premiership. The other thing, initially, prior to to when I stepped down from the AC, we had discussed having the Pacific Rugby Premiership and the Atlantic Rugby Premiership have a final championship game in Glendale and also have on the same day coached by the last place team in the league an all-star game of Eagle-eligible players so that basically 92 of the best rugby players in America would be in one spot. So there'd be an all-star game in the Pacific and an all-star game in the Atlantic, and they would play a curtain racer to the championship club game. And then the Eagle coaches would be able to be there and then they would be able to use that as an on-form selection vehicle for going forward in the, uh, in the June internationals. So that was the plan. Why, co- and, and why coach by the last place team? Because we wanted to show the fact that we trusted the coaching staffs and administrations of all the teams in the league. Okay. And that was the rationale behind it. Now they could pick assistant coaches from wherever. And I and the reality is you're kind of going to pick a team. You're going to rock up there, you know, maybe do a walkthrough on Friday and play on Saturday. Right. You know, you, but that it was almost like just a show of saying that that was our plan. That could change. Yeah. But I think that that's a works nice plan. Though. Well. It's, it's a great, it I mean, was, it's so logical to say, you know, anytime, we block out a weekend and say there's a championship weekend here and then um you know there's there's all these players who are good players who are then told right in the middle of the 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 meat of the season they don't have a game to play and that would be the time to to play a some kind of all-star game yeah the uh the real plan was was Puget Sound, Golden Gate, Olympic Club, Belmont, Santa Monica, and Ombak being one side of the conference, then it would be Glendale, Denver, Life, Old Blue, AC, and Boston would be the other side. So that would give six and six. You can structure that however you wanted. If Metropolis wanted in, that could be seven. New Orleans didn't want in, so we could have figured that out. So that was all really doable, and unfortunately – Unfortunately, you know, USA rugby and politics, poly meaning many, ticks meaning blood-sucking creatures, got involved and ruined it. So hopefully it happens next year and that everybody puts their little daggers back in their in their pockets or wherever they stuff daggers and they uh, act like men and do what they're supposed to do for the best interest of the players. How did they how did they ruin it? Oh, the, they the, do. The politics of the uh, Division One championship that everybody thought was was real and viable. That, okay, so wasn't. that that had to people they had to stay. So you had to you had to play in Division One rugby to be allowed. You didn't. You didn't have to do that. No. No. no it, was, it was the politics of. Hey, look, some people got in bed with USA Rugby mistakenly. Mm-hmm. 
you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you, you know, you meet a girl and, and she gives you, she gives you disease. Sometimes it's gonorrhea and it's curable. This was curable gonorrhea, probably more like herpes where you, you know, it kind of comes back like luggage every once in a while and you got to take your medicine. Pat, what are they saying down on the, down on the grassroots? Well, I mean, Kansas City, you've really got one team that's at the high level and they're pretty happy in that they're in the Midwest and the league that works for them. I mean, you know, not that I've been around the block a million times, but what seems to make sense is letting teams do what they think makes sense for them. You know, for Kansas City, they wanted to get to the Midwest. It made sense for them and it's working for them. I'd say that they're probably pretty happy with uh, the Blues, that is. They're probably pretty happy with the, the, the situation they've got, the league they're in, and the competition they're playing. It's a. You know, it's the high end isn't quite um, what they were playing when they were in the West against Glendale and and Denver, um, but the low end is considerably better than Boulder and the Denver Highlanders. So um, they're pretty happy. So if the teams in the Midwest are happy with what they've got, they'll be happy with what they've got. If the teams in the Pacific Rugby Premiership seem to be happy with each other, um, you know, then let them run what they have. You, you just from college to club, worry about what makes sense for you in the group of teams that make that are of a like mind. And uh, make it if it works, makes it work. What Bruce said about, you know, if you're going to have an Atlantic Rugby Premiership, let it run its season, regardless of how Pacific Rugby Premiership runs its season. Just have each other play each other. That's fine. That's the AFL, NFL did. They didn't have to agree on the way they ran their season. They just the champions play each other. That's the way it should be. Um, <laughs> you can't have people in California making decisions for people in New York. Um, and, and that's if we, the sooner we learn that across the board in domestic rugby, the better. And it seems like people are starting to figure that out. And, you know, I'm a, obviously I'm a college guy and I lean towards that. But a pretty funny tweet came out from the Atlantic Coast Rugby League. Uh, it was like last week, I think it was, when there were tons of cancellations in Texas and other places throughout the country. And it said the Atlantic Coast Rugby League will not be playing uh, any games this week due to inclement weather. Instead, we played them all in October. So I thought that was pretty funny, to, you know. That that's a, a group of guys that made a decision based on what's best for them, and uh, now they're they're enjoying it and, and and poking fun at the the whole debate. Let's quit making decisions for people that aren't in the same shoes as us, and um, and let everybody be as you know competitive as they want to be. There's Metropolis and, and and New Orleans. If Metropolis wants to be in this competition, fine. They've got the infrastructure now with Spearhead, and and they, they seem to be on a uh, riding a high tide pretty smoothly. New Orleans came up. Um, I'm not saying it's a flash in the pan. They can't be really good for multiple years, but as is the case with everybody tries to enforce promotion relegation, just because you're really good one or two or three years doesn't mean you're going to be really good three or four or five more years down the road. Look at how many people have won Division One championships and don't exist anymore. So, you know, make decisions based on, on what you and your like-minded people want to do and, and, and what makes sense for you. Can I talk about that for a second? Yeah. Uh, when you catch... There are teams that catch lightning in a bottle, and I think that one of the things that James Walker is recognizing is that if a team does catch lightning in a bottle and they have the players and they have the infrastructure for a brief period of time, they are willing to try to find a way to make that work. So I think that's – I think that they're, they're looking at it from a very sensible standpoint. It, the lightning in the bottle thing, and I think that perhaps ultimately in hindsight the, the mistake that the Super League made was sometimes moving far too slowly on teams, whether they should uh, be added or, or you know, anything like that. And sometimes you had a really good team that really wanted to be in the Super League, um, but, but they, you know, their, their window was small. Well, I can and, talk about that. It wasn't, yeah. It's not so much that the window was small – is that it's very difficult to recruit off of it. So Santa Monica got held out of the Super League for a couple of years, and and it was due to politics. It wasn't due to performance. Boston Irish, I thought, foolishly didn't join the Super League when they should have, and then they'd have been able to recruit more powerfully and, and come in at a stronger point. They really came in at a time when they had about – one to one and a half good years left in them. And I think the same thing happened with Santa Monica. The other thing is, Leshevsky kind of put this right. A lot of people talked a lot of crap about the Super League, but it was humbling because you realized that the team you played in October was not the team you played in April. 
And that doing it once in October was not the same as doing it week in and week out, eight weeks, nine weeks, and 10 weeks in a row. And when you had to do that and you had to eat injuries and you had to still play and you had to travel, that became a difficult sled. So a lot of people made light of the quality of the teams that were there and not just, and they were wrong and they were dead wrong. And the Super League also made some bad choices as to teams that probably should have been in prior to allowing other teams in, which was, it was, it was devastating really. And again, you know, the door right there for the Utah Warriors and then keeping it closed for Glendale was a bad move. Right. Well, I, I, well, Glendale's thing was a politics thing. And, and the way that vote went down, I, it, Shouldn't even have gone down that way. Utah Warriors, I still maintain, was not a mistake. Utah Warriors, all right, we got burned, but it wasn't a mistake. Glendale was a mistake. Santa Monica was a mistake. I think Boston Irish made their own mistake. Austin Blast. Probably Charlotte was a mistake. St. Louis was a mistake. What What about Austin? Austin, Austin, Austin was never a mistake. I don't agree with the, you know, Austin was never a mistake. And, and I think that that's proven out to be correct. You know, so I think that you need, you do need a bit of sustainability. And I think some people look at things differently at the Chicago Griffins were not a mistake, but when people put their own interests above the interests of the players in the league, that's, that's when things got, got haywire. And that's kind of what happens with USA rugby. As far as the structure. All right. Yeah. Of, we're going to, we're going to take it. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. We'll talk structure. Hey fans, go to rugbyimports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots. Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. We're back on Rugby Matrix America. We're talking about uh, men's club rugby, specifically the the rise of the PRP, and and we've been talking about how it's uh, you know it's, it's great to see them start the way uh, they've started, and I um and and we're recognizing that everybody's got to play a little bit better and that's why they're playing tough games. The two things I wanted to say before we we sort of veer off into another topic related topic. Um one thing about the the PRP is how hard they're working to try to to organize the league um like I said about the game film that's that's a a movement that um you know that's impressive that they're doing that. Another thing about you know USA rugby has a history of when when they haven't supported what they consider a maverick organization, they they try to they try to punish it, and one of the things they can do to punish it is to not assign referees. They tell referees, uh, "You don't do those games, otherwise we will uh, we will punish you." And they did that with the f- the f- first couple of years of the Super League because it was a maverick organization. They did that with a thing called Major League Rugby. Um, they said basically. Uh, this is not a USA rugby competition, so we will not sanction it. We won't uh, uh, sanction referees. Referee. You know what? Let, let me, you, you got yes. that a little backward. Okay. That that was USA rugby didn't sanction the Super League because of it. You, the Super League always paid for refs. USA rugby did sanction Major League Rugby at the behest of many of the clubs in the Super League. And that was wrong on the part of the Super League clubs to do that. Okay, all right. But, that was but actually the cause no, no, of it. That, that's fine. Eventually, but early on, there was a big fight about it. Uh, you know, because they were they were going the other way. That was the only thing they had uh, against Major League Rugby was to say you can't referee those. And that's what that's what they did to Major League Rugby. The difference between the Super League and Major League Rugby <clears throat> was at the time. The Super League teams played the Division One Championship and the Super Correct. League Championship. Yes. So they did that both in the same season. And then they realized they're playing the same players, so they just, they're just playing the same teams. So they just did the Super League only. And that started in 2001 when they started doing that. It might have been 2000. No, two, 2000. no, you're right. You're right. 2000. 2001. 2001. Yeah. 2000. Right, whatever it was, it was 2000 yeah. or 2001 when it was only a Super League championship and not a Division One championship. And then, but 
it was Major League Rugby that took the brunt because the Super League teams had more political sway at the time, and they basically screwed the Major League Rugby teams. And again, it, nobody's perfect, so I, you know, I don't, I don't say that the Super League teams are all great or the Super League has been perfect and and totally moral. They haven't been. They've been better than others but they haven't been totally moral the whole way through. And um, that's, yeah, so the history isn't great, and, and okay, it's not but, great on anybody's part. But my point eventually is that USA Rugby is not doing that to the PRP, and in fact the, the referees in America are recognizing that the PRP games are probably uh, some of the best games that they'll be uh, available to referee because they're close. That was my other point. Most of these games are very competitive. That makes it exciting. That means that, that they've got a good bunch of teams. Um, so they're close and they're at a high pace and they're good players. So referees want to referee them and USA Rugby is working with the PRP to assign referees to referee those, uh, those games in the second half. That's, that's a change in viewpoint. Uh, that, from that, USA Rugby, I, I was actually I was actually pretty intimately involved in that process in and of itself. Um, it was actually the PRP who said they didn't care who ref the games, and they were going to take local referees. And it was USA Rugby through Richard Every coming back saying we want to do the PRP games. Those are the elite games of club rugby in America and we want access to be able to do those games. So Richard and James Walker got together and they sorted out something where they can they can do that. And it was only sensible to do it that way. The thing the thing about the PRP and 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 the, the ARP which is going to ex- eventually happen and all these things they're all good rugby people. Everybody got a little sidetracked for a little while. Right? They're all decent people. And I and now they're gonna do something sensible, as Pat said. It's hard for someone in California to tell someone in New York what to do, or someone in Boulder to tell anyone what to do, or things like that. Everybody has to work it out for themselves, and and they're starting to do that. Really, thanks to some of the old Super League guys and coming together and saying, "Hey, let's let's put this, let's make this work." and and that's good. And and some of the newer people like Glendale and and I think that Puget Sound's gonna come around and, and go into it. And you know, unfortunately the East Coast didn't didn't make that work out. But anyway, that can, right. can I add one what I think is maybe most remarkable um is the way that the clubs are working together, Glendale and Denver in terms of venue and Olympic Club and Golden Gate in terms of venue, because all, all the games that are played in the Bay Area are being played at Golden Gates Field, at Treasure Island, Ray Sheeran Field. All the games that are being played in Denver are being played at Infinity Park. Now, while that seems like it makes a lot of sense and it's kind of a no-brainer, like the use of Infinity Park had been a big bone of contention between the Barbos and the Raptors for a while there and really kind of had a, a somewhat of a part to do with the politics and ended up them being left out of the Super League, from my understanding. I think it's great that they have decided we want to do this. We want to make it as commercially viable as possible where we can. Obviously, Southern California's venues, uh, pardon my uh, harshness, they pretty much suck. And so they can't really uh, make any of them commercially viable. But what they have in, in Treasure Island, what they have in Infinity Park, they can. And they're saying, let's make it commercially viable where and make it look legitimate wherever we can. And I think it's great that the Glendales and the Denvers are getting along well enough while teams are still you know, players are still club hopping between the two that they're that they're working together. I, I I can get into that a little bit too. The little queue is pretty good. I don't know what the field situation is like there, how it looks, but it used to be fantastic Nomback's place. Now that's a very interesting point. I've always maintained in a New York area that I wanted Old Blue to be a playoff team. I didn't want to lose to Old Blue, but I wanted Old Blue to be a playoff team because I wanted New York to be relevant. Because if rugby in New York was relevant, people would come here to play. And if they didn't like or didn't want to play for the New York AC, they could play for Old Blue. The other thing is we were guaranteed to have a great game three or four times a season, three or four times a year. So 
I always thought that it was better to have two good teams than to try to kill one. And I think that Washington and Pac found that out when Pac started to dominate Washington and strangle them. Now, now they're both Pac's a little bit more relevant, but Washington is floundering. And when teams act like that, you kind of want a good competition locally. You need something locally around you. I think that Boston would do be well served if the Boston Irish and them were very competitive. New York AC was very well served by having competitive games with Old Blue. Chicago Griffins and Chicago Lions are very well served by having competitive games against each other on top of Palmer, which is not far away relative to their travel. Glendale and Denver absolutely benefit from that. And there's no doubt that those three Southern California teams benefit from the fact that they're all capable, quality teams. People say, I want to go there. I'm telling you right now, I speak to guys all the time. They want to go play in the PRP. The ARP has to happen. Or the players from the East Coast are going to leave. We've, we, we've already seen that potential, right? It, it, it's yeah, great. I mean, we, we, so we saw it. You've seen it in a very limited way, but right. but, it, but it's, if it doesn't it's happen a, soon, you're going to see it in a big way. Yeah. How, how, how many other players have just, they've picked a town. They say, I've picked this town because I like it, and it's got, uh, you know, it's got a good rugby club, and, and I'm happy here. And then look around and say, wait a second, I could be playing now, and I could be there, and the national team coach is going to go see those teams play. It's just, uh, they start. They start wandering. And there's and there's the get there's the all right, so there's the guest player uh, rule in the PRP. And for those of you who don't under don't know or don't understand it, uh, basically it's it's a, a case where a, a club can put on his list or, or on its list, on its roster, players that aren't registered with that club. So uh, let's pick one. Olympic Club can look around and say um, there's a there's a player at Humboldt State University and there's another player uh, playing with the Berkeley Rugby Club and uh, they're both pretty good and, and they're di- either dissatisfied at their club or they don't have a lot of games to play and we're going to make them they're going to be guest players registered with Olympic Club and the league registers r- recognizes that those guys are now Olympic Club guest players and on occasion they might call them up and have them play so it's it's a way of getting someone mid-season to move up to the prp uh that's what belmont shore uh did with adam siddle who was playing in old blue and he suited up for a game for belmont shore we expect to see him uh play a little bit more although maybe not a lot um Bruce, what do you think of that plan? Do you think – I mean I, I know USA Rugby doesn't like it. They don't like it at all because it, it flies in the face of their registration plan. But what do you think of it? It's not a whole lot different than what Dan Lyle had asked to have happen several years ago where teams can play up and down divisions. I, You've always been in favor of it. You may have even written about it prior to anybody – I personally don't have a problem with it. I, I never really have, but I never really worry too much about stupid rules holding people back. I don't like to hold a guy back because he may be – say you get a guy, let's say a Dan Lyle, who didn't know what the hell he was doing and decided to join the Denver Highlanders and then play two games for them and, or maybe three and then found out that Glendale and Denver existed and could have gone to play there. But he can't because he's ineligible. So we lose out on a full year of somebody who could be fast-tracked, and it's insane. It's self-destructive practice, and losers practice self-destructive behavior. We have to stop doing that. If you If, so, if you look at any sport, any any professional sport that kind of thing doesn't happen right the i mean the so, some guy playing for uh you know for Pawtucket in the trip in AAA in baseball yeah. uh, he's really great he he gets taken from that team and he gets put on the Boston Red Sox 
Well, the the thing is, is that again, politics, poly meaning many, ticks meaning blood sucking creatures. These these teams act like they own these guys because you know somebody met a guy in a bar or in a gym and got him to go out to practice, got him to play a game, and now they kind of locked them in to you know a life of glorified softball, and it's unfortunate. And the fact that our governing body supports something so foolish as that is almost is almost laughable. But anyway, it, it, that's going to change. The PRP has, has, has set the standard. The top clubs always set the standard as to how teams behave. So the bottom line is the top clubs have to behave better. And that's always been the problem. The top clubs getting into the Division One championship, playing their first team in the fall, playing and getting into the Sweet 16, and then playing a second team and getting wiped out is what made these Division One teams pissed off at them. Same thing with Division Two teams. So the reality is nobody is 100% to blame for all the things that have been happening. The top clubs have acted irresponsibly. The second-tier clubs have acted irresponsibly. USA Rugby has taken the wrong side every time, which is about as irresponsible as it can get, on top of taking in $2 million worth of dues plus. And so everybody's been irresponsible in the, in the, in the, in the case. And now things are starting to change because USA Rugby is getting out of the way smartly. First thing I've said that in a while. And now... I think the PRP is going to be good, and I think the ARP is going to happen. As far as we we're going to talk about what, the structure. Okay, the structure. So, so the, the PRP plays. They, they they start playing in January. They they uh, play their seasons. Hold on. I'll go through. I'll go through. Yeah, it. I mean, they, don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. They 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 play they play their season and and finish it up with uh, you know a championship in the middle of May. Yeah. Uh, home and away. That's great. That's great for them because, as you said, generally and and. And there's a caveat here because just about every other year in January in uh, in Southern California, you get these massive rainstorms and they have to call off a bunch of games and then they complain that they didn't make up the games later. It happens all the time. They don't, the, it does actually rain in Southern California once in a while. Uh, but you have that and the, to make this work, Denver and Glendale have to play on the road for the first half of the season, which is tough on them. And, and it would be – It'd be interesting to see how that works long term. Uh, but on the East Coast, if you had an Atlantic or if you split it into three and you had a, a, a PRP, an ARP, and a central rugby premiership, uh, you, you can't squeeze them into that same schedule. You have to find another uh, another place to put it in. And the other complaint uh, – not complaint. The complication, Bruce, that you bring up is the, is the USA national team and we have – we have the uh, America's Rugby Championship in October, something that I think that uh, competition should just ignore and just barrel through, but I understand that there's a problem. Uh, we have national team looking at what they're supposed to be doing in the spring. Um, we're recording this show just about the time that that the USA is having a domestic camp where certain, certain players were just not available to their clubs. In fact, uh, it's kind of interesting because – the PRP only only saw three players. They only lost three players for that camp. Um, two for Glendale, one for Olympic Club. Uh, Seattle o Puget Sound lost six players, but their their regular uh, BC League game got called off because of weather, so they actually dodged a bullet there. Uh, does it? What do you do about? What do you do about that schedule? If you if you if you expand this RP to the ARP, CRP, etc. I, I'll talk in terms of what. My belief was at the New York Athletic Club and how we operated for many years and then my decision to stay with our operational process got nixed. Fair enough. But what we felt at the New York AC was that the fall was a nonsense season, meaning we'd play a couple games. We didn't care. We never really started practice till after Labor Day and we played three to five games. And I didn't care if anyone showed up. A lot of times we'd only practice once a week and we would play and whatever happened, happened. Then in the spring, 
that was what we were playing for the national championship, the Super League championship. It was all hands on deck. We started generally around the week before the Super Bowl, maybe the championship weekend. And we would go through knowing that we'd take probably a third of our practices would be snowed out and we would do strength and conditioning somewhere. And then we'd play and we'd hope for the best. And we were done by Memorial Day weekend or whenever the Eagles were supposed to play. Our deal was that we wanted to play completely outside of Eagle play. We wanted to encourage our players to be on the national team. And we wanted to have a very focused, intense effort toward excellence within a limited time frame. Because our players could do that. And that's what I felt worked. That's what Mike felt worked. And I have not gone off of that feeling. And I still have that same feeling today. That doesn't mean that you can't do things. It just means that your tournament should take place outside of Eagle play. So if you're going to have an elite tournament, which the Super League is just a tournament played over several weeks. The PRP is a tournament played over several weeks. My feeling is you play it outside of international play because then you get the best of the best and the best play each other and you know who's who. That said, there is something to be said to say we're going to play and we're not going to worry about it. However, if you want to win when the competition is going through eagle times, if there's any money to be spent on, say, an apartment or this or that or the other, you're going to spend it on a foreigner because the foreigner is going to be there. The American's not. The American's gone. They're in critical points. So the foreigner is going to win you the games. If you do it outside of Eagle competition, you will encourage teams not to bring in foreign talent to possibly displaced domestic talent, possibly all Americans or these types of people who have uh, national team futures where if you're going to put them on a couch or give them a, a bedroom in an apartment or whatever you're going to do to help them out, virtually nobody's paying players anymore. Some people might be a little bit, but if they are paying them, they're not paying them like they used to. That's for sure. And, and they would, uh, so you'd be better served having American players, and that's done better outside of those competitions. So what, what we basically have is you can play in September where you can play some really strong friendlies. So say, for instance, uh, Life played AC. Um, AC played Ontario. Life played Ontario. And then Old Blue played Boston. Boston played the Rock, and Old Blue played the Rock. That's a good lead-in to the ARC. Starts after Labor Day because you have you have your sevens is going June, July, and August. So there's a lot going on, and you need to have some little bit of rest period and that kind of thing. Then after then the, the players go to the ARC. If teams choose to play different friendly games against people or try to have an under 25s team or something like that, that's possible. Then there's the November test window. And, again, there's nothing that can be done. Now, the West Coast isn't doing a whole lot of anything. I would suggest that they play September games to allow their teams the ability to lead into the ARC. Now, the, the AC happens to play Olympic Club at that time. So, I mean, but if, if all those teams play just two or three games, just leading into the ARC to prepare for that, then they go to the ARC. Then those guys will go to the November test. Once you get into the into the spring, in the East you can basically play from Paddy's Day to Memorial Day. In the West you can play from you know right around Martin Luther King Day to Memorial Day, and you just work it out that way. And everybody kind of works out a league structure that works, and you can get those games in. We always have, and they're pretty creative, and the guys can do it. And that's the thing that works. And if you think, oh, they're not getting enough games, three games in the ARC, uh, seven, eight, nine games for the Eagles. So that's 12. Three games prior, that's 15. And 
seven, seven, eight to ten games in, in the spring, that's 25. So our elite players get 25 games. Our sub-elite players can't handle that many more games. They don't have it in them. I know that that sounds crazy. It I don't like think that's think crazy. You know, they that, don't have that in. Them. Well, the, there's there's the physical demand. There's also the you know the personal demands of the time. Well, there's no doubt know? about. And and I'll tell you right now, nobody knows this better than me. I have been involved in this more than anybody. That if you take, they have ten games in them at maximum, and at the end of that tenth game, at the end of that final, they cannot cope. The elite players can cope a little bit, but it is a struggle to play that following week in an international. It really is. So they're a, they really need about eight. Eight's good. Eight's a good spring. Three, three, a good three is a good fall. Then you have your whole summer, but they need time to recover. They need time to build their bodies. They need time to be robust. We are amateurs, and there are times you got to build skills and do all those things, and I get it, and you want to play, and you got to play, but the reality is you can't – we can't eat injuries the way we're eating them at the rate we're eating them because of the amount of games that people are playing, and we are eating injuries regardless of what you want to say. Brian Doyle is injured. Um, Toby was injured. Louie was injured. I'm just talking about guys on my own team. That's not to say that there's not a bunch on other teams. So um, that's my feeling. Uh, I okay, really okay, think right. that – but yeah. I think it's going to work. And I'm cool with – yeah, I'm sorry. That's, that's my that's, feeling. That's, like that's, outside of Eagle competition. Okay, that, that, that's fine. The, for the competition, it's got to end at the same time, right? So, so once we get into April, you know, fine. So, so if, if every league is finishing up their last – Whatever, three, four weeks of competition, and then you have your championship game. Who cares whether some of those games were played? You know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, whether you split it, and I, I don't think you're in favor of splitting it, or whether your your buildup was um, league games starting in January all the way through, or league games starting in March. It doesn't really matter if you have the you know the competition all culminate in basically a month, a month and a half's worth of games leading up to a championship game that is far enough before the Eagles start playing that you're you're not losing it. And by the way, we talked about this all the time. I cannot remember a Super League final weekend that didn't conflict with the Eagles in some way. No matter how hard people worked, I, I think there was always a conflict. That was not due to the Super League. No, no. It just it, – I mean, The Super League how, how, always how, tried. I, well, yeah. The Super League moved their final and then things changed. I mean I, no, I'm not, was, I'm not I mean, blaming anyone. I'm just saying but it just happened. That, that's all so let's, let's But, but why, now, can't, why can't we plan it? Why can't we sit down now? I think there's been more planning on the, the Eagles schedule. I think you're going to see that they're not going to be squeezing five games into June like they did last year. Uh, I, they're not going to be playing test matches in May like they did last year. Okay, so so if there's a little bit better planning on that front, then maybe we can do a little bit planning on the other front. Um, and uh, Pat, you've been quiet about this, but I I, I I like the I mean the idea that elite level players are getting games, and it's fine. I mean it, the the reason we want games is because a we want to play rugby. We all want to play rugby. We all want to compete. We want to compete for something meaningful. But on the national level, the inter- the international, the national team level, we we say players need games because they need games to get better. So, but it's not just any games. We need a a, a proper plan of good games to get them to a certain level. Um, how many games are elite players playing uh, around the world? professionals i think i think I, that's worth looking into how many it used to be that players were playing 40 45 even 50 games in a year they're not doing that anymore they're actually cutting them back in in the in super rugby how many games do they play they play what's the regular league 14 games 
It, well, it's yeah, it's around 14 games. They're professionals. Oh no, I, I know, I understand that. But Super Rugby is is 14 games, um, and then if you're if you're not a major star and you're still kind of on the bubble of the Super Rugby team, you'll be playing in the ITM Cup. Uh, you'll be playing in the slightly lower tier to 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 continue your work. If you're an international, you're playing internationals, which uh, is like eight to 12 times a year. So now you're pushing up to 30 incredibly tough games, but that is for a full-time professional. And by the way, that's probably too much. But for, a, but for an American player, the ones who are playing professionally are, are playing you know, upwards of 20-odd games a year, but they're in a professional environment where they're taken care of in a certain way. Uh, the playing domestically is not just about getting on the field. It's about all the other crap you have to go through to squeeze out time so you can play. Well, there's not only not only that, Alex. They they have to squeeze out time. They get no money. They have no health insurance. So these guys yeah. are demanded to play, but they can't have real jobs because they have to be available all the time. They have no health insurance. They have no coverage. They're not taken care of when they, but they have to play the domestic competition, but they're not covered for it. They could say that they're covered. They're not covered. I mean, I know that for a fact. Sure. And if they are covered, then they're not paying their bills for being covered. So a lot of the emphasis and the onus and everything goes on these players and it's really stressful for them and it affects their performance there is no question about it. It absolutely 100% affects their performance. And anyone who thinks it doesn't is insane. Well, that, These that's... guys are worried. They don't know where, where anything's coming from. And they're, they are not looked out for. They're treated as a complete and utter commodity and not as a human being. And that's what, why a, a player who may you know, maybe on sort of on the bubble goes and if he gets to play professionally, suddenly he can shoot up people, people at the club say, you know, what a great player he is. And so, why is that? Well, partly he suddenly realizes I'm now only worried about one thing. And people wonder about Samu Manoa making the decision to sign a contract um, instead of uh, playing at the World Cup in 2011. He got a professional contract. He got something that he would never he, he couldn't be taken away from him if he st he signed on it. And he goes anybody criticizing Sam Manoa's decision there's an idiot and doesn't deserve yeah. to be in the conversation. Well, people do. And I, and I think that that's those are now I'm not saying that they don't want to look after the guys or things like that. That's that's not the case. They do want to look after them. The guys aren't looked after and they're told to play but they're not they have to play, but they're not covered, and that's just the way it is. It's been. It's the way it's always been. And they have that uh, that nonsense insurance that USA Rugby has. It really is an insurance. Um, doesn't cover anything. So that we, that that cover that covers you if you kick a ball into the parking lot and it breaks someone's window. Yeah, I don't even know if it covers that. Yeah. Um, they'd ask for the guy who got his window broken's insurance to pay for it. That's but true. The, the reality is. Okay. I look into a new say, ball. But as you as you look at the way these guys are treated, the the fact that we perform as well as we do, given the structure and the resources that we have, it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Our players possibly play even the AC, which you know national championships and all that. I mean, they, we may have had our starting 15 at practice, I don't know, 12 times a season on a really good season and played our starting 15 five times. So they would have been together 17 times but can compete against Ireland reasonably well. As a, And I'm talking as a country – probably similar in many other places that that's about what you get them and 17 times together is the Irish do that in preseason 
But that's what we had. And, I, and I'm not saying that that's good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying it's reality. Because people have jobs. People have stuff to do. And people have weddings and funerals and all kinds of nonsense that happens. So, so, so the idea of, of requiring a minimum of 12 or 14 games for just regular Division One teams is silly because of that. We run into it, Pat, you and I run into it all the time, where midway through the season we start hearing about injuries. How many times do we see teams just basically, they're done. They, they well, forfeit the rest of their games. Well, here's, here's the deal. I, I'm going to go into that too. Part of the reason I didn't like the 12 to 14 game season and all this Division One stuff and one of the reasons I stepped down from, uh, from the vision of, of, of USA Rugby and, and New York Athletic Club chose to have that vision as well, um, so that's why I stepped down, was that you create bad habits. That if you think that you can miss practice one week because you're playing a team that's not good enough, or you skip a workout, or you skip this, or you see, then it starts to become a habit. Then it starts to become okay. Then you start to go on a slow spiral downward. You don't see it until you play someone good. And when you need it, you have nothing. It, you could you get away with it all the way through. And everybody looks like they can turn it on. And there's that game where, oh, my God, look at those magical plays. There's no defense involved. Look at all this magic. Nothing's really good happening. Guys are getting less and less fit, less and less accurate. They're trying to go for it in one play more and more often. It may come off, may not, but they're not getting any better. And they're not putting themselves under stress. And then when they need it, they think they can turn it on, and they can't. Because excellence, as Ben Slombardi said, is a habit. So we need to have our league or our, our domestic amateur players to play in a concise season where they can be excellent, where they can be awesome, and they can behave as professionals during that time period. If you extend that time period too far, they can't behave that way for that long, and they don't. And the results show in their performances. It's a matter of behavior, and that's the reason that you can't have it be that long. They are amateur players. The guys who are elite eagle players can stay robust and strong and can lift and can do things and can go to eagle camps and have a trial here and there. They'll get their games. But if you want your amateur players who are elite to be able to play hard for those weeks that you need them to play hard, you have to respect their time. You have to respect the fact that they need to work. You have to respect the fact that they want to play over a limited period. Everybody who thinks they want to play every week, as you see, as you just alluded to, that tweaked hammy becomes a full-blown tear. That hurt foot becomes a full-blown you know, stress fracture or sprained ankle or whatever. If you're 9-0, and you're healthy. If you're 3-9, and you're not. And that's the point, is that you got to do it over a concise period so that the guys who are working, who are really serious about making these Eagle players great, they need a chance to be able to recover. They need a chance to work to make money so that they can afford to take the time to spend on being great for that three-month period, that four-month window, because that's all they can do. And asking them to do anything else in jackass weather and all is, is idiocy, it's unfair, it's foolish, and the people who are doing it are getting paid, whereas the guys who they're asking to do the work aren't. And if you're asking amateurs to do, you know, it, it's, it's like the rule of gold. If you ask your investments or your gold or your money to work too hard for me, it's going to disappear. If you want great results that you know are unrealistic, your money will disappear. If you want 50%, 60 70% returns, you just invest in that thing that promises that, and it will disappear. If you want your great, dedicated, pot, great, awesome players 
to play and do that and give you 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 games, they will disappear. You can't ask people to do too much, especially volunteers. That's what they're doing. They think it's cool. They think it's sensible. They talk about the 70s when they played 40 games. This ain't the 70s, bro. Look at the old videos. Look at those classic rugby games. Kick the touch, line out. Kick the touch, line out. Knock on, scrum. Nobody did shit. Well, even when they did, they, oh. were, do- they were doing it against, uh, you know, 190-pound props and 142-pound yeah. centers. I mean, it's, 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 it's like It's like, good. you know, like we were talking about the Winter Olympics before. It's like the Winter Olympics, making white people relevant in sports since 1947 when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. I mean, seriously, give it a break. Uh, yeah, so, so it, I, I guess it comes down to um, who owns what, and I don't think anybody owns anybody. Uh, anybody owns any competition here, and uh, free competition has been good for American rugby, and limited competition and limited play has generally been bad. Uh, and let's keep the rugby free market system going. We're going to support the Pacific Rugby Premiership at Rugby Mag because it's worth writing about and it's worth covering. Simple as that. And uh, one little thing like being able to uh, see a little bit video and see more games and a little thing like being able to have better players on the field. These are all little things that we support. Uh, the Atlantic Rugby Premiership will happen. All right. Promise it will happen. The Pacific Rugby Premiership wants it desperately. Dude, whatever you guys want to do. I don't care. I just want to see good rugby. I like to go out to the AC games to see really good rugby. We've been fortunate enough to see it. You know, the Northeast, you know, you can bitch about the league, but the fact is the Northeast League's pretty good. And and there are some good teams in Schuylkill River and Pack and all that. There's teams up here that are good. But if you want to... As Mike Petrie said, it's really difficult to go out and play a game against Mystic River knowing that you got the All Blacks a week later. I, th- I think we touched on as much as we can on this. Uh, and uh, don't forget to check out RugbyMag.com and, and our ongoing coverage uh, uh, in, in written word and in images and also in video. We're doing everything we can. Check out uh, the Rugby Magazine app on your uh, tablet app store. And also have, uh, have a look at our year in review publication that's printed on real paper. If you want to get that, check out rugbymag.com. And uh, for Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton, this is Alex Goff thanking you for listening to Rugga Matrix America. Mm-hmm.